and welcome to the Counter Press Podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Kinsey, and with me after a long COVID-19 break is Josh Cacho. Josh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make it seem like you had had the bug, but welcome. No, I mean, but I think, you know, there there are the effects outside of the actual medical complications that we've all been feeling over the last, you know, um, month or so. And so, you know, Kirk and I both you know, we both do work in healthcare. And so some of the things that we've had to do over the last couple of weeks are just kind of sorting things out from, you know, both a, you know, from a career and business perspective and just trying to figure out life and making sure everything's going good. So we're glad to be back, glad to talk some soccer, you know, you know, hopefully do something different tonight um, than, than usual. You know, like I said, normally we'd be breaking down some tactics and some of the things, but, you know, as much as our focus has been on other things, there have been a lot of, um, you know, moving parts within 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 soccer in North America as a whole. And so we're going to talk about some of those things today and kind of go from there. Absolutely. Um, a little bit different, as Josh said. We're going to talk about some bigger picture things, get into more of a philosophical discussion, I think, on a lot of this stuff. Um, but Josh, first of all, what have you been doing to cope with uh, all your newfound free time? So... I, you know, for those of you that don't know, I work in outpatient orthopedics, physical therapy. So while we're still a um, essential industry in terms of, you know, I've still been seeing patients, all those different things. A lot of it has been shifted to telehealth and some of those things. So lately it's been, you know, playing a lot of video games and, you know, in between, in between patients and that kind of thing. But that's pretty much about it. Movies, video games, like everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, uh, so I, again, for those of you who still don't know, I have four boys um, under the age of 10. And uh, so most of the day is spent chasing them around and trying to keep them in line or from breaking things or trying to keep them entertained somehow. I have been staying up late and playing Final Fantasy VII. Um, Josh, what are your initial thoughts on that game? So I I have some bad news for my from my perspective in that I, you know, we had been talking about the buildup and I had downloaded the demo, played the demo and literally that night, which I think was Friday, the 10th of April or something like that, uh, my PS4 decided to die. So oh, I have no. not, not been able to play anything more than what I had seen. But I mean, from, from the, from the demo that they did release, it seemed awesome. Seemed like it was, you know, like they hadn't, you know, tried to change too many things and, you know, just kind of go with, you know, like I said, what it's the saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So you know, outside yeah. of the, you know, the ancient graphics from what we were used to on the PS1. Right, right. Um, so again, nor- this is very different for us because normally we don't get, we don't engage in small talk before uh, we get straight into it. It's one of my pet peeves about podcasts, but you're going to have to indulge us here because uh, this is a big game for most of it, most everybody in our generation. Um, I, like I said, I have been playing, I played the game. I don't know, a dozen times when I was a teenager and I've gone back a handful of times and played as an adult, uh, like when I was deployed and stuff. Um, but, um, what's made it so much fun for me is all the callbacks and all the things that really are just the same, um, as they were in the original, just like you said, kind of updated in terms of graphics or more modernized gameplay. I don't, I really don't play video games at all anymore. I don't have time. Um, so it's been a bit of a, there, there was a steep learning curve on like how to, how to navigate a newer game, but it's cool to go through from like a first person point of view. So many little details about, you know, like when you're running around in the slums of Midgar and you look up and you see the plate above you. And in the original game, you got that bird's eye view. So you don't really experience the town or the city in the same way. Mm. Um, it's been a lot of fun. I, I just recently reached the wall market phase where you had to go around and dress up cloud as a girl, uh, to get into Don Corneo's mansion. And, uh, that is like a vibrant red light type district. There's so much stuff to do, uh, so many things to, to engage with. Um, so I'm looking forward to, <laughs> to being able to chat more with you about it, but We'll, so what uh, we'll you're telling me is that I need to, to pony up another $300 to make sure that I can play it the next few weeks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's no better time than now, Josh. I, if I were you, true. I would uh, 
it would it would help if I saw more than two or three patients in the clinic on each day. But you know, like I said, yeah, uh, yeah. as as you can uh, find a used PS4 or something to buy. You know, there. Um, I mean, either that or start selling my plasma. That's true. My my patient told me Um, they've been doing that lately. So that's a that's a funny story. That's a so when they first announced that game, the next weekend I went out and bought a used PS4, thinking, all right, you know, six months. A year from now, I'm going to be able to play. And that was like three years ago. So this thing's just been sitting on a shelf <laughs> waiting for this <laughs> game to drop so I could finally play it again. Um, Josh, let Such me ask you an important question right? here, though. What's up? What is your preferred three-person party in Final Fantasy VII? Ooh. So because my PS4 broke, I've been playing. the one, and I decided to I was like, oh, let's play the one on the, on the iPad. So it was obviously you kind of have to cloud is kind of the mainstay and kind of has to mm-hmm. always be there but it was um sid and then yeah. um red 13 red 13, 13 yeah 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 that was those, so, those three is kind of what i've i've found was my go-to yeah i've i use i typically use red 13 a lot and then i will most of the time ride with tifa sometimes i'll swap in sid as well for one of them I do like Vincent's character, so sometimes I feel guilty, and I'll I'll bring in I'll bring him in for a while. But uh, yeah, but his limit break thing in the original was annoying. Yeah, yeah, he just transforms into like a demon, right, and does whatever he wants. Yeah, you lose control, and that's kind of the the crux of it. Right, right. So, all right. Well, that's enough of that. Um, <laughs> let's talk about how the U.S. Soccer Federation and MLS are coping with COVID nineteen by canceling the Development Academy. Now, I'm a bit skeptical about this timing and about the the blame game that they're playing with the virus, but Josh, what are your thoughts about uh, the Development Academy going away? I mean, I think the first thing you have to, you know, at least from a from a total perspective, I think the new CEO, Will Wilson, came in and talked about, like, there were going to have to be cuts made, like any business, right? Like, across the nation, we're seeing record unemployment rates and all these different things. Like, it was you know, like U.S. soccer wasn't going to be um, shielded from that by any means, you know, um, in terms of how how they went about things. You know, again, when you're dealing with a multi-level organization and some of these some of those types of things there, there, there is going to be some of that. Now. The I think if in a vacuum, right, um, I I again again it has to be in a vacuum because like when you see the final results and what actually happened after the fact then it starts to become a little bit more suspicious but in a vacuum again it kind of you know you you really don't want the federation to be that heavy-handed as it pertains to as it pertains to development as it as it is right like the fact that you kind of had to go through the gatekeepers of USSF you know to be able to now you know as as an organization, you know, doesn't really quite make make sense, right? It didn't jive with with what we see around the world, right? Mm-hmm. Again, but that's in a vacuum. That's separate from what actually happened, right? What and then you know, so then when you look at the total results and what ended up happening, and so um, for those who haven't seen it, what ended up happening, you know, soon after the um, they announced the closing of the development developmental academy. Was Major League Soccer, you know, made the, you know, the the decision, which again to undertake something like that, you know, isn't something that a, an organization like Major League Soccer can do on a whim, right? Right. Um, right. In terms of, and now they're basically creating their own league for MLS Academy teams, right? And and so you have to think that this was, you know, this was definitely something that was a work in progress along the way. And, you know, basically the, you know, the virus ended up being the impetus to kind of, you know, basically ram it through the door as opposed to, you know, doing it on a, on a, on a more, in a more subtle nature. Right. Um, you probably right. have a lot more thoughts as pertains to what it means how and how it impacts at the lower level. Um, from, you know, when I look at it from the, you know, Major League Soccer, you know, specifically Major League Soccer, it makes some sense because, again, that's how most of the academies are run around you know, in, in England and some of those things where you, you know, basically the academy team travels with 
the first team and then you know on friday the the academy team will play and then or the you know u19 the academy teams will play basically leading up to the match you know the senior team matches on that particular weekend or whatever it may be and they compete in similar you know in a similar format and basically in the you know in a in a stripped down format of the of the senior teams and so it makes sense to a certain degree but again like you said there's ramifications beyond you know just what it means for major league soccer you know and and how it affects development around the country and what it, you know and again now it kind of stratifies the the argument you know that was already there in terms of you know you basically had to it's you know it was like like a lot of other sports now it's becoming about who you know how much you have you know to be able to make sure that you make it through you know you make it through the system unless you're just an unbelievable talent that no one can deny right but otherwise yeah right there it, it's it's you know it may have actually been the first one and basketball has fallen has followed suit and volleyball as well but now it becomes an issue of you know again it's relatively a middle class sport you know in terms of what it means to make it um, move through the ranks mm-hmm. so my my problem with the development academy has always been just what you said at the beginning where you have the federation and mls by extension as the gatekeepers so a lot of the teams involved with the da are the youth academies at mls and i mean granted uh, those are the teams with the most resources and they're typically in metropolitan areas where they're going to be able to have access to millions of kids uh, and a lot of, a lot of talent. Um, for example, my, you know, in, in the state of Arizona, the Barcelona Academy in Casa Grande, which is about 45 minutes South of Phoenix is the only development Academy team was the only development Academy team in the state. And they had, I think two or three teams uh, like 15s, 16s, and U19 boys or something like that. But that was it. Um, so if you, if there was a kid, for, for example, in Flagstaff, where I live, uh, they would have to make the decision uh, as a family to send their kid three hours away to, to train, reminiscent of the Clint Dempsey story, right? Where Clint uh, was in Nacogdoches, and I think he had to go, was it Dallas that he had to travel yeah. to to play club soccer? Dallas. Um, and so his dad would drive him three days a week to Dallas so he could train. And the only reason his family could even afford to have him train there was because his sister died. Otherwise Clint would have never played club soccer because the family had thrown the, you know, had thrown the resources behind her because she was a promising, uh, tennis star. Um, so when you think about, uh, how close we came to arguably not having the greatest, American talent that we've ever seen. Um, it, that kind of thing bothers me. And I realize it's a bit anecdotal with me bringing up my own town and, and just, you know, kind of parlaying it into, into Clint in Nacogdoches, Texas. But that's the problem for me is that there's not enough resources pushed down the middle. It's just USSF, you know, or MLS again, by extension saying, this is the top down approach. You can either get with the program and if you want to play at the highest level here in the country, then you have to do it our way. Uh, and I think that's why you see kids like Ulianas and Richie Ledesma and Alex Mendez and all these kids that have gone over to Germany uh, and to, to other European leagues to sign contracts without signing an MLS contract um, because they don't want to be stuck in the pipeline. And you saw it with LAFC too, when we signed somebody from the Barcelona Academy, we had to pay Real Salt Lake, I believe it was 50000 in GAM or something like that in order to sign him because Real Salt Lake owns this territory. So even though Bryce Duke was uh, part of the Barcelona Academy, which at one time was affiliated with RSL, uh, they still owned the rights to him. So if he was going to play anywhere in MLS, that team had to compensate RSL. Um, so it's just this, to me, it's this, ridiculous top heavy structure that doesn't allow for any real competition or, or ingenuity down at the, down at the grassroots level. That's what bugs me about it. Uh, I understand the need to have a premier league, uh, for, for youth development. And, uh, I think you could probably do that in more of a, a regional 
way where you have kids, let's say the Southwest, maybe they can travel that far or you could have one in Southern California alone. Um, but I, I, the idea that it's just going to be one league from MLS uh, does bother me because again, it's top heavy and it doesn't, it doesn't take into consideration the fact that there are uh, a lot of kids that are going to get overlooked by this program. Yeah. And I think what I wonder is if, if the route that eventually becomes, you know, like the, what ends up happening beyond this is basically what's happened within basketball. Right. Um, I, th- I think if you look at, I think the one thing weird thing is like we're just seeing what's happened in our other professional sports, whether it be the NFL, Major League Baseball, or the NBA, happen in real time because you know we're actually around for it. But this type of thing has been kind of going on, has been going around for a long time, right? I mean, there used to be a thing called the ABA, there used to be a thing called the CBA, which were all competitors, and then it got, you know, then everything kind of folded into one league, right? And then you became this single entity thing that we now know, you know, Major League Soccer as a part of. Um, you know, but that hasn't changed club basketball and some of those things that have kind of come into fruition and the, where, who actually picked up on some of those things has actually been, you know, where it used to be high schools, which becomes a little bit difficult because again, the, the, just the, the amount of legwork it's going to take to now scout some of those issues. But I think what your, what you can kind of look at in terms of a potential, you know, potential, um, thing is, I wonder if now, you know, the shoe companies start to, um, because again, that's what happened in basketball, right? Where you have Nike and Adidas, who are basically the run the leagues, the the youth leagues outside of outside of the you know the G you know what would be the G essentially ostensibly the G League for the for each of the major league soccer teams type of thing, you know. So in the NBA, right, you, the Lakers have the East Bay Lakers and some of those different things, and you have those developmental you know opportunities there. Right. But then it really is now, you know, Adidas and Nike and do these things running, you know, basically providing a league to be played, you know, and, and broadcasted at a high level for, you know, for those teams that don't fall into those categories. So that's me being optimistic and hoping that it works out that way, whether or not, um, you know, a Garber led league is going to want to relinquish control of any sort is, you know, it remains to be seen because I think that has been, you know, that if, if there's been something that we've seen over the last few years, right, it, it's basically been the snuffing out of all dissenting opinion as it pertains to how soccer should be run. And, and this this goes from all the way up to the national, you know, the national team and some of how some of, some of how that looks, right, and and you know what they're in how they're now trying to control even as, you know something as simple as the pathway to get to that point, right, um, you know, and again it 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 whether it happens at the collegiate level or via what we're looking at right now i think you know like i said it, i think it's just a matter of you i'm not i i feel like there's a bit of an inevitability to it um given given the structure and the in the playbook by which i think everyone is operating in this sense you know again looking at a a more you know a baseball and a basketball structure as probably the playbook by which uh, major league soccer is running based on the people that are involved yeah, I mean, best case scenario is MLS does uh, provide more opportunities. I know they're talking about with the with the format where they're going to invite some of the more elite teams to come play in tournaments and stuff like that, which I think is is the right move. I think you need to incorporate uh, any high performance team across the country and whatever it is that you're doing to get more eyeballs on on more kids. Yeah. Or, or it can mean at least to fill in the gap of regionality, right? Like there's only so many major right. talk, soccer teams in so right. many areas. And so you invite, like you were saying, the those elite teams in particular regions to now fill in the gaps, right? In terms yeah. of fine, you know, so that way you, you limit who, you know, the people that fall in between the cracks, right? But again, I think the big issue, you know, you know, with the current system, but then what potentially could happen, you know, before is again, it, it now becomes a matter, you know, there, what's happened in in the pathway to professional sports in in the United States, right, is that it's it's been overtaken by the professional coaching circuit, right? Like everyone has the coach for whatever sport they're in since they're like six years old, right? And mm-hmm. I, you know, again, that's kind of the weird the weird 
time we live in and you know it pertains to some of those things but maybe things change now in the era of of covid virus right and how we go about some of these different things so who knows yeah yeah i i mean it is such a big undertaking um the one thing i will say is uh, mls has had staying power uh regardless of my qualms with how the league operates and the fact that they hired jay burhalter as a consultant to help get this thing up and running. Uh, the one thing that they've been able to do is make it work for the people that are going to invest money uh, to do this. So if I have any faith at all, it's solely based on uh, Don Garber being a bit of a shrewd businessman who can actually make, uh, excuse the pun, but make sense of everything and and make it work for the investor class who's going to fund all of this. Um but I do not trust them when it comes to pushing it down far enough uh, to really make it to really have an impact where you see, a, you know, like a nationwide development uh, development system where you just have, you know, teams being invited to come participate. And, you know, if there's a kid in, I don't know, Reno, Nevada, who is burning things down, then he has a good shot to go and compete with his club. He doesn't have to leave his club uh and travel to Las Vegas or whatever it is to, to actually be seen. So I don't know, I guess we'll find, I guess we'll find out soon enough, huh? Yeah. You know, but I, I mean, but unfortunately this kind of is basically the playbook that happens across the world, especially in these types of situations. Right. I think it was, you know, former advisor to Barack Obama, Rahm Emanuel, who said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And I think mm -hmm. this is now yet another example of, you know, whether it be fortunate or unfortunate, right? In the, you know, at least, you know, like you're saying, like, yes, the league has staying power, but it is unfortunate that the result of it may be, you know, again, changes that, that have a deleterious effect down, you know, down further down the pipe. And so, you know, you have to wonder, you know, again, is I think the one thing that, that can be said about the way that the current regime has looked at things, you know, from U.S. soccer's perspective is, over the last 10 to 15 years has, you know, the push has basically been to consolidate all power, you know, um, right. Within a, within basically a pretty small group, right. Whether that be within the Burhalter clan, but then also, you know, like it basically started with Gulati and, you know, those guys, and it has been, you know, if you, you know, when you kind of look at it from an outside perspective, it's basically been their, you know, their little, what did we call them before? Um, wasn't a gang there was a word that we used previously when we were going off the rails in this conversation um, <laughs> i'm not sure before. the word that comes to mind now is a cabal but <laughs> yeah but i mean essentially right it's it's their little you know it's their mafia right that uh yeah. you know that if you know again like i think i think it was the term because we we referred to greg berhalter as basically you know a made man right in terms of how they were right. going to go about things and those you know and so when you it, it it's None of this is surprising when you look at it from that perspective, because again, it's it is about consolidation of power, right? Mm -hmm. um, in in the grand scheme of things, and how how soccer is now going to look, right? You're basically going to have, you know, soccer house in 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 Chicago basically calling all the shots, including Major League Soccer from for the time you know for the time being, because again, like ultimately some you know, some is the one that calls the shots because they're the driving force behind all the money within the sport in the United States at this point. Yeah. Maybe can I, can I riff on that for just a second to explain to anybody that doesn't know why some is such a big deal here. Do it. So soccer United marketing is, uh, a separate corporation that was established by Don Garber, uh, outside of MLS as just a marketing agency. And so they market, uh, they, you know, they're the ones that will go out and negotiate TV contracts on behalf of MLS, uh, the men's national team, the women's national team, and a handful of other entities, but also very importantly, L3, uh, within the U S they secure all the broadcasting rights for L3. So this is what keeps. And so when you sign up as a franchise owner, not a club owner in MLS, a franchise owner you get a piece of the sum pie and sum is what actually makes money uh, in the U S soccer structure. Most MLS franchises, not LAFC, uh, but most MLS MLS franchises lose money year over year. Uh, and in order to keep investors around, this is what, 
this is what Garber did. And again, as I said before, it's a it's a shrewd move. It's a it's a wise business decision. But what you see now is a bit of a of a revolving door between Soccer United Marketing, U.S. Soccer, or USSF, and also MLS. So much so that I mean, you can you can just track people as they as they move around. So Sunil Gulati is now on the board at some. Uh, because there's always a USSF president uh, on the board. Don Garber's on the board. All the all the MLS owners own shares in it. Uh, when somebody gets fired from U.S. soccer, they get a job in MLS. Will Wilson, that's his name, right? The new soccer, the new the CEO. CEO. Uh, he was once a some guy, and now he's back at U.S. soccer as a CEO. So this is, uh, it, it's it's kind of like the uh, like the the politician who does, you know, two to four years in Congress and then stops and immediately becomes a lobbyist like the next day. I think Eric Cantor is probably the best. uh, I think he was a Senator, right? A Republican Senator. And then like he left the Senate and the next day he was lobbying in New York city or uh, to, to pull one from the other side of the aisle. I think Debbie Wasserman Schultz, when she was done with her uh, congressional term down in florida the next day she was on hillary clinton's campaign uh, or i mean look at emmanuel you know leaving you know leaving the administration and becoming mayor of, of chicago right so right you know like right. It, it becomes a, a now you know the the conversation is one that we're, we're having in the country as as it is in terms of how elite begins to separate itself you know and how those machinations are kind of made and in the soccer is no different <laughs> Right. In terms yeah, of how they yeah. kind of bought it. Right. It, it, it really comes down to, you know, an, an elite class that, you know, that knows how to pull the strings of power. Now looking at the different opportunities that have come up, you know, and, and for, whether it be fortunate because they've been able to keep the product going or unfortunately, because you've seen the power consolidate within a certain group with much to, to the dismay of a lot of people, um, you know, that that is the ultimately the result. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, and you see it happening in, you know, in a bunch of different, different areas. I mean, again, it's, this is, this is the era of, 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 you know, that we live in, in terms of how, you know, like I said, the elite and, and kind of that more, you know, the regular person, how those mindsets kind of separate and how the thinking process goes and where, you know, and, and the scale at which those things, these decisions are made, right. It go, you know, like I said, most people don't, don't you know really don't think about much beyond you know the product that's on the field right or what's in front of us you know like we're just trying to figure out how to survive you know for the average mm-hmm. person but you know you go to that next level and it's now these strings being pulled and some of these things that are happening and again now you basically have you know one group running all of soccer in north america right because again the amount of money that is coming you know because you know with with like the rights for l tree right for example yeah they make a lot of money from that right but then that also lines the pockets of you know the four or five owners of the biggest clubs in mexico right because they own mm-hmm. the tv stations down there and some of those different things and so it it comes to this larger thing where again you the you know again it the money has changed the game dramatically around the world over the, you know over the years and you know while we have some of these these mechanisms like the salary cap and so on that make it seem like we're we have this level playing field right at the end of the day you know it it really is just you know it really is just comes down to a lot of these things you know whether you know within how we go about life and business now infiltrating yet another another situation mm-hmm you know, it's like mm-hmm. LeBron in China, right? The, the, you know, we, we forgot about that already, right? That wasn't, right. you know, a huge topic, but why, right? Why was that a big problem? Because there, there's so much money to be made for the, for the NBA in China. So that was, a, that's why that whole thing turned into a big controversy, right? Right, right. Again, you're starting to see some of these, you know, again, some of these decisions and machinations happen, you know, again, within the sport, you know, but again, we're just seeing the consolidation of power happening now, whereas with the NBA, whereas the NFL, those things happened in what the seventies, I believe, is when yeah sixties or seventies when they consolidated yeah yeah where you had the AFC and NFC combine into the NFL or AFL and NFL combine into the mm-hmm. 
combine and then you know the nba you know basically absorb the aba and the cba and then now you have these single entities that now we come to know as the quote-unquote elite leagues right again this the soccer works a little bit differently because we there is you know there is something you know there there is a um you know there we're you know we're we're a little bit behind in the game as it pertains to some of those things but it doesn't mean that the money's not there um and then when you compare that to england you know as much as we want to think oh look at this tiered system that in that's in england and they can work their way up how often does it actually happen you know in in theory it sounds really good but promotion relegation because of the amount of money in the in the premier league makes it next to impossible you know for for a true promotion to actually occur again it's within the realm of po- it can it's possible right but the numbers don't don't really add up when you think about how much money is to be made with the amount of money that the Premier League now makes from their TV contracts. And now La Liga is looking to do some of the same things in terms of signing bigger contracts overseas and some of those things with their TV, right? You know, again, the TV right game is what now makes these, these leagues superpowers, right? Like they become a part of the national conversation um, in a much different way than they ever did before. You know, like again, they, they, they used to just be sports, right? But when you start getting some of these TV contracts involved in these multinational corporations, it now becomes an international incident when some of these things do happen within the sport. Yeah. So if I can just say one thing on, on the promotion relegation front, um, clearly with a, with an international, following like the premier league has compared to something like the championship. I mean, it is going to be such a big gap between those two. Um, what, and I, I think oftentimes this, this argument when you see it on Twitter all the time is straw manned uh, from both sides when it comes to uh, are you for or against promotion relegation to me, the argument in favor of promotion relegation is less about making it to the first tier and more about just being able to advance and be and have your system and your players scouted from a higher level. So if you if you look at a guy, I think Jamie Vardy is a great example of a guy who benefited from promotion relegation. Um, and as he continued to as he continued his career late into his twenties, he was able to get more and more eyeballs on him. And Lester made a great run based on you know really good scouting at the right levels. But if he was still in whatever the ninth division of, of English football, right, then he's never going to get seen. And, uh, and he, Lester doesn't have that city. And again, that's a bit romantic and a bit anecdotal, I, I'll admit. Um, but when I, when I talk about promotion relegation, that's really what I want to see is I want to see an open floor where people can come up and, and, and compete. So you have a team like, let's say Phoenix rising, isn't just stuck blowing the doors off of people in, uh, in USL because, well, uh, there's nowhere else to go for them. They're always just going to tear, tear those teams apart uh, yeah. until they lose their players inevitably to, to age or whatever it is. Cause yeah. they're not really selling their players on either from USL. I think one of the, the key differences is the amount of money that MLS is starting with comparatively to, you know, where some of these these other leagues started in their infancy, right? You know, like Major League Soccer grew based on investor money, right? Mm-hmm. The, right. the the current right. system that we see in a lot of these places weren't that way, right? And then, yeah. you know, and I don't want to hear people talking about Liam X and their promotion relegation because theirs is completely fake, right? Where it's like, <laughs> oh, Chivas gets relegated, but then they just pay this fee and then all of a sudden they, they magically yeah. stay in the top. No, like... Again, like at the oh, end of the day, we're gonna hate mail for you. Yeah, <laughs> bad mouth the cheapest. <laughs> no, I mean, but I mean, but it, but again, it becomes a bring it's, it. It's more of an issue of you know, again, it's the influx of money and some of these different things and how it's changed the game as a whole, right? I mean, there's you know, there's been several books written about this very topic. I think there's one, there's one. I'll have to think, look it up real quick. But in terms of how it goes about it, but again, you you really see, again the now how even that conversation you know while in the the, the romanticism of, of pr- promotion relegation gets perverted even by you know even when it's a, even when it's there right, right so the question right. is becomes like do we want a fake version of it or do we just you know you know it's like do you want to fake it and pretend that we're this you know this 
this open society but without actually being open or do you want to just you know or do you take the other side of things where we're like we're, it's purely about profit and money and then just go from there right yeah you know it's yeah. like it to a certain degree i almost i almost side with the second one in certain degrees because at least they're honest about it as opposed to mm-hmm. some of these other situations where it's again it, it's 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 like telling someone that you can make it if you just do all the X, Y, and Z and the government, you know, and then who, all these people are going to be there for you, but then you never actually have a shot. Right. Again, you know, we're going to stay yeah, out, out yeah. The, 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 the political weight of what I just said, but at the same time, you know, like within the, within it, like I don't want to be promised and not actually be there. Right. And that's kind of what we're, we're looking at with, you know, promotion relegation to a certain degree, you know, and how we look at it, right? And for in money, people now, the people who have invested money, it now becomes a weird issue where it's like, well, why would I want to, why would I invest money if I'm going to not, you know, partake of that amount of TV money that's now available if you're in the top flight, right? And that's right, where right. you're never going to get somebody to buy a, a fourth division American team because, you know, for I, what, what, wouldn't be all that much money to them. They can, they can buy into some basically. Right. And they can get an yeah. NLS franchise as they expand to 140 teams across the, across the, but nation. even with the Premier League, who has promotion and relegation, right. It takes a man city, a city state essentially. Right. I mean, yeah, to, yeah, to, to yeah. basically buy a team to actually accomplish moving through the, through the divisions. And they started in the championship. Mm-hmm. They didn't even start in the, in the like, league you know whatever the outside outside of league two or whatever it may be right yeah, yeah you know right. i think the only one that's at, you know like that's done it it was you know rb leipzig right in in the bundesliga and mm-hmm. everyone hates them because of the way that they went about it <laughs> right so you know again it, it's it's one of those things where it's like i from my I, I almost wonder if it's too far gone to actually go back to the romantic you know, version of what we all, and you know, of what we all want to see, you know, maybe that's a pessimistic view on my end, but you know, again, that's just kind of where I see things have gone based on the amount of money that now is at stake. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think what, this is a conversation that we'll have to save for another day uh, regarding all the ins and outs of pro of pro rel and whether or not it makes sense here and how you go about implementing it. I think you definitely have to go from the bottom up here in the U S you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to get, uh, you wouldn't be able to start at MLS and then, or I mean, you wouldn't be able to, as a federation, set the standard for MLS and then everything else at one time. It would have to go, you know, the fifth division, the fourth, the third, the, you know, onto USL. And then the last piece would be to implement it in MLS as well. But uh, the last thing I'll say is when people talk about MLS one, two, and three and promotion relegation between them, that is not, uh, like Joshua, that's that's fake promotion relegation. But anyway, we're way in the weeds here, so we'll just continue to move on. Uh, the reason we're in the weeds here is because there's no soccer to talk about. So Josh and I have some recommendations on how to get MLS back. Um, I know that all of us would love to see LAFC in action again. Um, so we both devised plans. Um, I think both of them are based on uh, semi-proposed solutions that are kind of, you know, out there in the ether already, but um, we were going to give you our detailed explanation on, on how to make that happen. Josh, do you want to go first on this? Yeah. So my, mine is purely conspiratorial um, based on everything we just <laughs> talked about, but you know, like I said, in the time, you know, with all the amount of time that I've spent in my house, like these are the types of things that just start running through your mind. And so um what what I actually want to look, you know, like uh, um, we're thinking is like when you think about the amount of money that some is now losing without having the sport being played, right? And that does not only affect Major League Soccer, that also affects the national teams. It also affects the Mexican national team, as well as likely Liga MX teams. And so what I'm thinking, you know, and again, with with um, CONCACAF Champions League being being put on hold, um, as well, and likely canceled for this particular year. year um, as much as it pains me because of the you know the joy that that game at the bank brought me after we you know smacked uh, Leon that day, mm-hmm. um, is a Champions League style Super League with Liga MX and um, and MLS teams 
you know, and so basically each team ends up playing somewhere between like 11 and 14 games and in total with a, um, with a, uh, what's that pool, like with pool play, right? Where each, you know, you, you separate the teams in there. Basically each team will play the, and then after the pool play, then you move through that. And then you can almost even do for the teams that don't make it out of pool play, you can almost do a Europa League type of thing as well to have that secondary portion of also every team continues to play games and make money um mm-hmm. and so again based on the amount of team you know again both businesses that being liga max as a whole and major league soccer as a whole and now you know again from from the um the explanation you guys got on how some is now kind of the some is the controlling arm of all of it um yeah, it's kind of where I see this potentially going. Where you again, you you're already seeing little things kind of come in in terms of the what is it the um what's the league that they just had that Atlanta won last year when they beat Tigres? Oh, that champ, the, uh, the trip, the trophy, Campeones Cup. Yeah, so like that, that you know, that particular tournament, right? Or you know, you you see you see the groundwork being laid for a relationship between Liga MX and Major League Soccer. And so, you know, again, do we have the fake promotion relegation where you basically take the top flight of Liga MX, the top flight of Major League Soccer, and then that's how you get the division? Because now you solve the problem of being having problems playing in the wintertime as well because it's easier to play in the winter in Mexico than it is in the United States in the northern mm-hmm. area of the country. And so there are some of these now things that we can do in terms of how we kind of manage the, you know, what this looks like going forward. Um, you know, and again, and from a money perspective, how how quickly are you know are are the sponsors going to be in on something like that, right? And that's the, and to me again, this is why it's, it's purely conspiratorial. That it's my 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 consensus after seeing everything that's happened over the last you know a couple weeks that everything is about money, um, and and how we go about this and how they're pro- likely going to go about afterwards is going to be based on those same decisions because again, people have money invested and people who have the amount of money to invest in sports teams don't want, you know, don't want to lose that money. And so now what comes right. is, you know, if it means cutting off, you know, cutting out everyone else, right. Which you've seen steps already, like whether that be like the developmental Academy folding, right. Or the, you know, the fake relegation in, in Liga MX, um, people are more than willing to do that if it means consolidation at the top, you know, and like I said, when you have, you know, when you don't have a million different owners in Liga MX, you really just have to satisfy the ones that are the shot callers that own the, you know, the majority of the, um, of the television companies down there. Um, it, and honestly, I don't, it's not, to me, it's not outside the realm of possibility just based on the amount of money that could be generated. And again, in a time where football stopped around the world, could you now draw instant eyes on that with playing a format of that nature? Mm-hmm. I like it. Uh, and I, I mean, I definitely, I like that it's grounded in something that is very clearly uh, taking shape behind the scenes with it, you know, the, the mixture of, of Liga MX and, and MLS. I do think that's a bit of a, of an inevitability at this point. I have no idea if it's going to be a good or a bad thing. I know that both leagues have uh, plenty of corrupt aspects about them. So, uh, I'm not all that hopeful, but we'll see what happens. All right. So I, I like, I'm going to level with the listeners here. We had a bit of a mishap in my house and it resulted in my wife tripping on a toy down the stairs and all of my kids being hysterical and, and worried about her. So I had to go attend to that. And now we're back. She's okay. Everybody. Um, she's now resting on the couch, but she's going to be just fine. Um, so my, uh, man, now I'm kind of scattered though. My idea for how to resume the MLS season, um, kind of like you said, Josh takes advantage of, a of a crisis to do the right thing, which is to, to crown a, a single table, uh, champion basically a, a points leader right like you see in every other world or, or every other league across the world and the way you do that is this there are 26 teams in mls so it'll be a 25 game season and what we're going to do is we're going to do uh we'll have basically five round robin tournaments across the country 
and you don't really have to play in any specific place. It probably should be neutral. It should be away from uh, from any kind of COVID hotspots. So no New York, no California, probably not Texas. Um, I think ideally you'd want to send people to uh, states across different time zones for television broadcasting and somewhere where they have access to uh, at least a couple stadiums where they can, where the teams can both practice and play on a good surface. And obviously this is all going to be behind closed doors. So you have, this is what I propose. You have a tournament site in Honolulu. You have a tournament site in Phoenix, in Wyoming, in South Carolina, and then in Wisconsin. So you have kind of all over the country there. Um, and I think the benefit of Honolulu means that, uh, you know, they're, they're three hours behind even Los Angeles. So you can be broadcasting games till late in the night um, to make sure everybody can see. And essentially what you do is you send four or five teams at a time to each, uh, to each location. They stay there for two weeks and they play a game every three or four days. Uh, so you could play Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, take a break on Wednesday, and then Thursday, Friday, and Saturday they play again or whatever it is. Um, and then you can be practicing on your off days, whatever. You, you, you essentially go to like a two-and-a-half-week camp at each of these places. So you get the benefit of playing every single team in the league uh, or, or on the table, I should say, and you um, you get what is a relatively complete season. Now, normally MLS will play 34 games because they're playing each conference opponent twice as well and then going into the playoffs. But again, my my idea here just gets rid of the idea of the playoffs and you just, whoever's at the top of the table at the end of this, since every team plays each other once, is the winner. So that's my idea. Josh, what do you think of those locations? So that, I mean, if if there's going to be a site in Hawaii, I'm going to volunteer myself to go work physical therapy for it. Um, because <laughs> yeah. the one thing that I've thought about is like, man, if, if worst case scenario, I, I, I'm like, I'm about to go move, go move to be closer to some family in Hawaii and just be done with everything that's here. But, you know, mm-hmm. that's beside the point. But no, I mean, like I said, I like the fact that, you know, like everyone, every team plays, there's no real advantage to be gained on your location or anything like that, right? Because it's a neutral site. Um, so there, there is that. And so you really just get to see who's the best team. You know, it kind of reminds me of like a, a, like a NCAA tournament format, right? Where every team you start in the regional location, mm-hmm. and then it eventually moves to a central one for the, for the, um, the last, the last playoff bit. Um, <clears throat> and so, or, but you know, obviously in this one, there's not really a last playoff. It's just a table, single table, um, single table setup, but no, I, I do, I do like the thought of you know each team just playing one time on a neutral site, and you get to just see who's going to, at the end of the day, who comes out on top of that. And I think right. Major League Baseball has has been another you know I, th- I think all the sports leagues are at this point are kind of working together, um, to try and figure out what the best approach is going to be, and I think that's something that baseball is considering by doing. I think down in Arizona, I think is where they're looking at. Um, where they're looking at a potential neutral site for them to kind of set set up home base where they can kind of mm. basically set up a bubble, make sure that everyone is tested within the, you know within the within the team so that way, you know, they're not um, you're not risking infection there and then um, having them basically play a bunch of games and then go and then kind of go from there. The tough thing is going to be negotiating that with the players because are they going to be always want to be away from their families for that long period right right so that that would be my only um that would be my only you know like i said from a logistics standpoint it makes perfect sense to me um or not perfect but i mean given the circumstances it it makes a lot of sense to me to go about it in that way um like i said the only question i would i would have is whether or not um players are going to want to be away from their families because again at that point because yeah you're putting them in these places you know, whether or not it's going to be advisable to now send them back to their families and have them potentially get infected and so on and so forth is now um, something to consider. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there are, there are some logistical hurdles to get over there. Uh, not the least of which, like you mentioned, was what are, are the players on board with this? 
Um, I think if MLS does cut their wages, like it seems they're going to do, um, that maybe there would be some interest from them to say, all right, well, we're going to play at least some sort of season. So now the players have a little more power back in their corner on what to demand when it comes to, you know, you were not going to take a 50% haircut on our, on our wages this year. You're still going to have to pay us a certain amount. Um, but the point about, you know, are they going to be able to see their families or are they going to have to be, you know, in a 14 day quarantine, uh, every time they come back, um, but what I like about this is because everybody's traveling to a central location and presumably they all get tested, uh, you know, prior to playing or prior to traveling then, or whatever it is. And then potentially after coming, after leaving, right. You can probably do that too. Upon returning home, then you, right. retest, you have everyone retest again and so on yep, and so forth. Yep. So, I mean, I think um, it's the but same I do question. Think this that... would minimize travel because you have everybody going to the same spot. You stay there for two to three weeks, you play five or six games and then, you know, you either move straight to the next site or you go home or whatever it is. I mean, obviously, like you said, that's a, that's a good that's a good point that you brought up. If they have to be quarantined for 14 days, then you might have to take a two-week break. And now they're just going home, but they haven't even seen their families. So uh, maybe my plan wasn't as well thought out as I thought. Well, but I mean, but I think it's, I mean, I think every, you know, the, I mean, Major League Baseball is considering a similar situation. Basketball is considering a similar situation. You know, obviously basketball's in every place because they're ready to finish their season. So obviously it's right. like, the timing's a little bit different for them, but the considerations are also there, right? And so I think everyone is kind of in the same boat and trying to look at every every potential scenario and like, okay, what's going to be, you know, the the best way to move forward and, and salvage this year. You know, I think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, across the board, I think that's basically what we're all doing, right? It's like, how do you, you know, it's like, how do we get through 2020 as quickly as possible and get to 2021 where we can get back to life, right? Because, you know, with with time also comes more more advancements in our treatment or in our fight against this whole thing. And so who knows, by the time you get closer to playoff time and some of those things toward the end of the year, you know, is there now vaccines available and treatments available at that point? So, you know, there right. there is that to consider as well, you know, in the next, in the next what, six to eight months. <clears throat> yep, yep. All right. Well, I'm going to go make sure everything is still good with my family. In the meantime, you guys can follow us uh, on Twitter at the counterpress underscore uh, me at Kurt Kinsey, Josh. LAFC Josh. You can also look for us on the bank note. Uh, not a whole lot of content coming out of there right now, understandably, or maybe not understandably. I hope you guys understand why. Uh, I know there we've had some, some background discussions on what kind of content we can push out to keep you guys uh, engaged with us. Uh, if you guys have any ideas or things that you want to see or uh, ideas for podcasts, let us know. We are open to suggestions. Uh, and thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you next time.